So last Thursday, I hope that you were able to be with friends and family and be thankful. I hope that was part of your week. And that was the thanks part. And today, we're going to do the giving part. So we did thanks on Thursday. Today, we're going to talk about giving. And uh, we're going to talk about it because giving matters. And it's exciting for me. I try to do this a a couple times a year, definitely one time in in November. But we try to uh, be able to share the opportunity, uh, the the blessing, the opportunity, the purposes of giving, uh, because giving matters. So when we think about God's economy, what matters for God? I think that's why we read the Bible. I think that's why we come to church. We have these conversations, we listen to things. We do these things to kind of figure out how's God thinking, how does God see that? I mean, Jesus, at one point, he said, you know, it's been written this way, but I tell you this, and then you read that, but I'm telling you this. Like, trying to figure out the mind of God, or what I might just call the economy of God. And the disciples, they wanted to know, if, if, if you're familiar with the scripture, the disciples wanted to know who would be first, <laughs> Who's first? Who's the greatest? Our culture wants to know how it works, you know, who wins. People that read the book of Revelation read it because they want to figure it out, right? Who's the best? So here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, jump, we're going to jump right in. Who gives the most? That's what we're going to talk about. Like, in giving, when it comes to giving and, and discipleship and all of that, who, who gives the most? And I want to read from Mark chapter, Mark chapter 12. Uh, verse 41. If you have a Bible, Mark is in the Gospels, second book. First Gospel, actually, but second book in order. And uh, there's a story about this woman, and she happened to be a widow, and she gave an offering, and it's in uh, uh, verse 41. It says, in NIV, Jesus, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings are put. So we have these little gray bins in the back, right? So maybe where Teresa and John are sitting, maybe back there, that's where Jesus sat down, and he kind of watched who was giving. That's really what's going on. He positioned himself in the place where the offerings were put, and he watched. And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Now, many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two, not just small, two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. And then he calls his disciples over, and Jesus says, I'm going to tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Now, that should should encourage us, right? Fraction of a penny, and he's sitting there watching the whole deal. He's like, hey, fellas, come here, check this out. That woman put in, like, these, these two little small, very small copper coins, put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. I also want to read it. Out of, the, uh, out of the message. In the message, it says this. Again, chapter 12, verse 41. Sitting across from the offering box, Jesus was observing how the crowd tossed money in for the collection. Many of the rich were making a large contribution. One poor widow came up and put in two small coins, a measly two cents. Jesus calls his disciples over, and this is, this is why I wanted to read it out of here. The truth is that this poor widow gave more to the collection than all the others put together. All the others gave what they'll never miss. What a powerful phrase. All the other people gave what they will never miss. 
She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. Sacrifice is giving up something that you'll miss. Not sacrifice is giving up something that you'll never miss. Years ago, our godson was eight years old. And he came to us, and he, I don't know, he set the carpet on fire, some kind of something. I don't know, he did some kind of thing like that. That's true, true story. And we're trying to, like, you know, discipline, punishment, consequence, something, you know. And he, he sat there, I'll never forget, he sat on the couch, he looked up at I me, mean, he called me, Brother Smith, he goes, Brother Smith, he's eight. You could, you could take away my videos. I'm like, Leon, that is an excellent idea. But since you don't watch videos, I guess I'm not sure the leverage that will have, right? So he's like, hey, I'm guilty. You got me. You take away my videos, okay? Something I will never miss, right? Doesn't even do it. So sacrifice is about giving something that you'll miss. You feel it. You're aware of it. Not usually an accident. And when it comes to how God determines a person's level of sacrifice, it's not going to be how much you give. Let me just say that right out. It, people gave large sums of money. When you're giving to the kingdom and when you're giving to God, and this should be good news for us, it is never about how much you gave. It is about how much you have left over after you've given. In God's economy, it's like that. It's not how much you gave. It's how much you had left over after you gave. Because giving matters. Now, we, we see who gives the most, but what, what gift is it that pleases God? So let's, let's look here in uh, Genesis. Let's go to Genesis, beginning of the whole deal. Genesis chapter 4. Read a few verses here. This is... Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, chapter 4 of Genesis, right? First book of the Bible, the beginnings. Adam lay with his wife Eve. She became pregnant, gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. So you got Cain and Abel. Now, Abel, important to read, Abel kept flocks. Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. That's something to hold on to. A lot of times, and I've heard this, and I just don't think it's correct, that Abel's sacrifice was accepted because it was a lamb, and Christ is our lamb. And they didn't have any clue on that. They didn't have any idea what that was. That's nice typology, but they didn't have a clue what was going on there. One guy was a, a shepherd, and one guy was a farmer. And the farmer had farmer things, and the shepherd had shepherd things, right? And so they simply offered what they had. But what's interesting is that Cain brought some. Cain brought some. Whereas Abel brought fat of the firstborn. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. His face was downcast. Verse 6, then the Lord says to him, why are you angry? Why is your face so downcast? And here it is. If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? 
But if you do not do what's right, if you don't do what's right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. That's some of the dynamics of idolatry, right? We give our, and money is absolutely an idol. No question about it in the, in the New Testament. So we give ourselves to this thing, and then it affects us, and that's sin crouching at the door. Interesting that you think about giving, and sin is connected to it somehow in this narrative. But he says, you know what you got to do? You got to master it. And you know how you master it? You give two cents. How many people have ever in your whole life said, here's my two cents worth? Yeah, like you, give, you, you, you just give it. The way you master greed, any guesses? You give. Yeah, it's simple. Like, but I don't want to give. I'm greedy. I know that's the deal, right? Like, I can master my greed if I give. A friend of mine, in fact, a mentor for me, he said if he reached in his wallet and he looked and it was offering time, we don't pass the buckets around here. Like, but when I was a kid, I used to do that, right? So he'd look in and there'd be a, 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 a hundred, a, a 20, and a, a, a one, you know? He said, well, I can't give the one. That's a cheapo, right? And I ain't giving the hundred. So, and when he had that conversation in his mind, and I think we might be able to relate to that conversation, when he had that conversation in his mind, he said, I'd throw the whole wallet in there. I just reached in and took everything and just throw it in. How was he mentoring me? Don't let anything have place. Don't even give cancer a spot. Like if that's the conversation of, well, I should, don't. He said, I take the whole thing and throw it in there. I understood. Because something is crouching. Yeah. And it's an idol. And idols are what take us out. You have to master it. You see, it, for, for Cain and Abel, it wasn't what was given, but it's how it related to everything else. It wasn't just what was given, but it's how it related to everything else, right? Cain brought some, and Abel gave the best of the first. Now, if you got a $1 bill... We don't really have $1 bills that are better than other $1 bills. I have a better $1 bill than you do. No. It might be crisp, you know, or rumpled up and everything. But even though some are crisp and some aren't, folded and bent and scrunched all up, a dollar bill will still buy you a piece of candy. Several dollar bills might buy you a gallon of gas. Abel gave what was first. Now, here's the call, and this is always the call. There's an invitation to participate in this for our own freedom, for our own openness, for our own blessing. There's an invitation in the giving to participate, and then there is the flip side of that, that if we don't, you're making decisions right now. Everybody's going to make a decision today, everybody. And someone will say, I make no decision. No decision is a decision. Like, I'm just telling you, everybody in the room is going to make a decision today about your giving moving forward. Everybody, me, everyone, all of us. There's a lesser known law of God in the book of Exodus. Maybe you just flip over there. Exodus 13, it'll be up on the screens for you. This is a uh, law. I'm just going to read verse 1, and then I'm going to jump, jump down to verse 11, okay? All right. 
The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offering of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. Now let's go all the way down to 11. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised an oath to you and your, your forefathers, you're to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. And in the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. And this is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like your sign on your hand, a symbol on your forehead, that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. It was established. That was established at the time they left Egypt. Right, So this is Passover, angel, blood on the doorposts. And this is established at the time they left Egypt. And it's a modern practice. In Hebrew, it's called pidyon haben. It's a modern practice, the redemption of the firstborn. So today, 2023-2024, firstborn son, they have a ceremony 30 days after birth. They bring five silver coins. And it is customary, this is the quote, to bedeck the baby with jewelry. And place him on a silver tray. That's crazy. <laughs> to bedeck the baby with jewelry and place said child on silver tray and present with five silver coins. But I want you to think about something here for a minute. And again, that's not super well known. Not everyone would have passed that quiz, right, had we had that quiz this morning about the redemption of the firstborn. However, this isn't about the oddities of the Jewish people, but it is about the mindset of the Jewish God. It's not about the oddities of the Jewish people. My, how bizarre that they would like put jewelry over the kid, put him on a silver platter and present it. No, no, no. It's about the mindset of the Jewish God. The firstborn son wasn't better. He was simply a representation of and for every other child. Because you know the truth? They all belong to God. They all belong to God. As an adoptive parent, that is right here for me. I mean, you're like... It, as an adoptive parent, that is right here for me. I am the steward of children. God gave me the grace and the kindness and the blessing to steward children. And my prayer is they are not mine, they are yours. Right? Every child belongs to God. So whether the first son, the first of the livestock, the the first of the, the harvest, whatever, giving and redeeming the first is a symbol for the surrender and the proper placement of everything else. So when we give the firstborn son, they, we don't do that. That's not a Christian practice. We don't, we don't do this thing. But we do practice the first and the best and the first fruit because giving matters. That's why we do it. The thesis statement for this message today is really in 1 Corinthians 4. Who makes you different from anyone else? Who makes you different from anyone else? And what do you have, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, then why do you boast as though you did not? I'll read it again. Who makes you different from anyone else? 
What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Can I tell you that I love this verse? I just love this verse. It is a proper placement in the scheme of things verse. This is as we're wandering around and we're thinking about God's mindset and we're thinking about the economy of the kingdom. This is a putting things in proper placement verse where I feel like I did that. I feel like I did that. I feel like I have agency for that. I feel like, I, well, that's the reason I did that. And he, God is looking and he's like, really? Like how many things do you have that weren't a blessing to you? How many things do you have that weren't given to you? Now, if you'd like to come after this, it's in the scripture, right? It's in the scripture. So it's wise for us to recognize that we may not understand it. It's wise to recognize that we may not have a place for it. But it is also wise to recognize that it is in the scripture and we should probably give it a little thought. We should probably have some place on the shelf to ask, what is a scripture like this trying to do for me? Because God is not about tightening the screws, beating you down, or oppressing you. He is about life and life to the full. So when God is giving us, Holy Spirit is giving us direction through the writers, through the written word, and it says, you know, all the things that you have, how'd you get those? You didn't have those. Those were gifts. Why do you act like you had something to do with all that? And we're like, but I did have something to do with it. Like I went to school. I got up at five in the morning and went to work, you know, like that kind of business. We think we have that sense of agency. There's something in this which is very, very helpful for us to take a pause, take a breath. And what we might recognize is that what are the limitations that I have here, Lord? Where am I thinking more highly of myself than I ought to? And that is not a beat down. When we can have things, again, I said this is a proper placement in the scheme of things verse, right? This is where it all fits together, and I understand it's not just the firstborn I'm redeeming, and I keep all the other kids. The firstborn is a representation of and for every other kid. The first of the fat and the fruit and the first giving is a representation of everything else. It is a posture that we are called to walk in, and when we walk in that, we will find life unless there's an idol. And if there's an idol and we're worshiping that idol, then we're not walking in fullness of life. We're just not, right? There's this draw. We have this dilemma, this D-I, dilemma, these two things pulling at us. What did Jesus say they were? He said clearly, God and mammon, God and money. That's what he said clearly. He could have picked 137,000 other things, but he said, it's just, it's these two. <laughs> what? That's like my buddy that took the 121 bucks and threw it in, right? If God says that the dilemma for me as a disciple is going to be between him and money, then I want to be a giver. I want to be a giver because I don't want to give place to any of that mess. God pays attention to this giving stuff, right? Just like sitting over there watching. God pays attention to it, but here's the good news. We need to give. We need to have outflow. We need to be generous. Our world understands this, right? Uh, when I did a college application, it was all about your grades. That was pretty much it. What was your SAT score? That was pretty much it. Today, I had an opportunity uh, for Senator Young, Todd Young, I got to do some reviews for college applicants for service academies. So we'd sit down, seven or eight men and women would sit down, and these 
high school seniors would come in and they'd present and we'd look at their grades and their, you know, all the ACT and SAT, all that business, right? And everybody, are you on a team? Are you a captain? Do you play sports? And what kind of community service have you done? What kind of community work are you doing? That wasn't, nobody asked me that question ever in my era of going to college, never. But today, we understand the value in the person if they're a giver. Legal teams do it, right? We know that. It's pro bono. Part of our team gives a percentage of work pro bono. We're not charging you for that. We're giving it. United Way leverages that in campaigns. When I worked at Hamilton Center, it was a drive, a literal drive. A whoosh, I mean, it was a drive to get us to give, and they wanted 100% participation if you gave a dollar. But going for 100% participation, and that's not uncommon. There are serve days and work days. Thompson Thrift just sent over 100 people to Next Step just a few weekends ago. Everybody left the office and came over, and they were painting and pulling weeds, and they were doing cleaning stuff, and then they were doing some serious, I mean, some serious work, and then just, you know, maintenance work. People get it today. This isn't just scripture, but it's they figured out what's true. They figured out what's good for us. They figured out that it is no secret that we are better and happier people when we give because giving matters. Yeah. God knows how we're so prone to compare. Just like the disciples, compare and exploit and work arounds and I always try to be super simple. We can give time, treasure, talents. Right now I'm talking about money. You need to give money. Personally, it doesn't matter to me where you give it. It doesn't matter to me. This is not my church. This is the Lord's church, and he can figure it out. But you need to give. You need to give somewhere. And you need to give money. Well, I'll just volunteer. No, you need to give money. You need to break with that five, break with that 20. You need to give money. Because that's when you can't do it, that's your sign. Do you need a sign? When you have a hard time doing it, there's your sign. That's your sign that you need to do that. I'm very happy to volunteer my time. No, you need to give some money to somebody. You need to keep a 20 in your ashtray, hand it to somebody on the street. Like, you need to have that in your lifestyle where there is outflow. That matters. And God presents this baseline of giving that is equal for all. And I love this. I'm so grateful for this. It, is a, it makes it available for everybody to participate equally. Every single person in here, wow. Love you, Hud. See you, buddy. It allows everybody to participate the same in a room as diverse as this. How can our giving be equal? There are people that give $15,000 a year to a church. $15,000 a year, they, they give it to a church. $20,000 a year, they give it to a church. And some of us are sitting in here going, dude, that's over half my salary in the whole year. That's 50, 60% of my salary. But, but here's the deal. God's economy is not about amount. It's about percentage. Remember? It's about percentage. And, and that's the kingdom equalizer. And it's brilliant. It's brilliant. For everyone to be able to participate in Genesis 14, Abraham gives a uh, 10%. It's a precedent. This guy named Melchizedek shows up, and Abraham just gives him 10% of everything he has. We call it a tithe. 
Now, there's a wonderfully clarifying passage in Numbers. I know many of you have probably already read from Numbers this morning, so we'll just go back there now. Numbers 18, verse 26, says, Speak to the Levites and say to them, When you receive from the Israelites the tithe, okay, the tithe is this 10% word, so the Israelites give you 10% of stuff. When you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. What an interesting passage. What an interesting passage. That God looks at them and he says, look, you're the priests and people give, you give and it keeps the lights on here and it allows us to expand ministries and it allows us to be missional and it allows us to do the work of the church Monday through Saturday, not just Sunday, and all these beautiful things that happen on Sunday because of your giving. Yeah. So he says, when that happens, you've received, but you need to give a 10% of what you got. That's how important that is. <laughs> Even the Levites do. Of the 10% you get, you give 10%. Now we do that at Christway. Some of you know that. We do that here. So if you give $100 and it's not designated to like students or, or worship or mission or something, you just give $100. $10 of that $100, 10% of that money goes into an account. We call it the mission account. And it's purely for outflow. Purely outflow. If someone needs tires, we have the money. If someone needs a month, uh, you know, electricity, it's a tough time, tough moment. You, you got it. If someone needs gas in their car, got it. That's right. It's, I don't know, $50,000 in there maybe, currently right now. $50,000 in there. That means of $500,000 given over the last several years, right, 50000 is in there. And it's for people in this church that need help or people that come and need help. It's right there. We received a tithe and we tithe that. I told that to Dana several months ago and she said, they're going to do that. Like, Next Step does that. So, like, money that's received, they're going to take 10% of that and then invest it in our community, invest it in other groups and recovery centers and things like that, right? It, it's a fantastic practice. That is not just back then, but today. Let's look at uh, Luke eleven forty two. 42. Jesus is saying this in Luke eleven forty two. He's saying, woe to you Pharisees. You give a you give God a tenth of your mint, your rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. Now, you got to check that out, right? How in the world do you give, like, what, you count ten leaves and toss one? Like, I got nine leaves, you get one leaf, I mean, kernels of corn. Like, what are you doing? They are breaking it down to, like, mint leaves. All right? I got five mint leaves, I'm going to cut one in half and give it. They are breaking it down that, that low. And then, all that, but you neglect justice and the love of God. He's kind of blistering them a little bit, right? You're paying tithe of all this stuff. You're so meticulous about it, totally bookkeeping, totally keeping the law, and then love and justice, you just blow off. Okay? You, you should have practiced the latter, which is what? Love and justice. You should have practiced love and justice without leaving the former undone. You see, we do both. We do both. We give love and justice, mercy, faith, and we give. 
In fact, it's one of our key steps. There's eight steps that we believe take you to abundant living. And that's one of them. Giving is one of those steps. Because giving matters. That's why it's in there. So my encouragement to you today is that somehow you're doing something. Something. And I think the biblical standard is 10%. Now, if you're not able to do that, give 1%. If you're giving 1%, give 3%. If you're giving $1, give $2. Give $5. But let there be the beginnings of a trickle of outflow. You see, God promises to be involved in this process, and that's what we're going to close with today. For some, giving is God calling you out to give me and prove yourself. You know that? For many people, in a message like this, we feel like God is calling us out to give and prove ourselves. Prove our love, prove our commitment. No, no, no. (laughs) Giving is God asking us to give so he can prove himself. Malachi chapter 3. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in the house. Okay? Look at what the Lord says. Test me in this. See if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven. Pour out so much blessing that there won't even be room enough to store it. So that's the encouragement. That's the encouragement. God sees it. We're all able to participate. It is the foundation of the beginnings of abundant living. And I think what we need to do is ask, like, what is it that I should do today? What is it that would be a step toward this promise? The promise that if it's a thing where you're like, I mean, I ought to be able to just tell you and you do it. You're like, oh, that's fantastic. It's in the Bible. I'm in. Some reason that's not always the case. So the Lord even understands this. And he says, look, just try me. Just test me. I mean, we're in this season of thanksgiving. And we just did these shoe boxes. That was outflow. That was giving. People give and serve and love each other and easily pull a 20 out of your pocket, easily pull money out of your pocket, hand it to someone. Like, we give. My encouragement, I try to do this a time or two every year. My encouragement is to step into that space and let the Lord open that up for you. So before I ask, what do you want to do? Maybe I should ask, what do you want to have? Do you want to have life to the full? Do you want to have life that is abundant? Well, then what you have to do is cultivate this lifestyle of giving. So sometimes our goals are just, they're just too big too soon. That's not what this is. I mean, if, you're, if you can do it, do it. But the idea is that the Lord is involved, and in God's economy it matters. And I would love to invite you. And again, it doesn't have to be here. I would love to think that you would give here, you would value what's happening. Ministry expands and we help people. I tell folks in companies that I lead or places that deal with giving and fundraising, I'm like, the size of the ship determines the number of people that can be saved. And money determines the size of the ship. (laughs) So we try to work in those things. Let me read something to you. Arnick, you can come on up. Let me read something to you out of uh, 2 Corinthians. I'm reading out of the message. He says, remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. That's that's Cain, right? Cain gave a little bit. And and let me just, let me me pass here for a second. Uh, 
This isn't about your. Uh, this isn't about your conscience. This isn't about. This isn't about your conscience. Right. This isn't about. I'll give to get somebody off my back. That's not. That's not this at all. This is the benefit and the blessing of being invested in being a part of something bigger than ourselves and being a part of something that God is doing. A stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. And when we read stuff like this, you know, you're like, well, which one would you like to be? <laughs> Do you want a stingy crop? Well, no, nobody wants a stingy crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over. I love this part. This is why I'm closing with this. This will be the Lord giving you the close, okay? I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over. Make up your own mind what you'll give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in giving. That's the whole point of the deal, right? The joy of giving. God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything, more than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist put it, he throws caution to the winds, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. Isn't that fantastic? Because I know somebody is in here, and I've been in that place too where you're like, I would love to give, except I don't have anything to give. I am too needy right now. He says he gives to the needy in reckless abandon. His right living, right giving ways never run out, never wear out. This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something you can then what? He gives you something you can then give away. That's the idea, right? Blessed to be a blessing because giving matters, which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise in God. I want to hit you with these words, and then I want to sing this song. He gives you something you can then give away, which grows into full-formed lives. That's what giving does. Full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way. This isn't just tit-for-tat transactions. I gave a 20, I get a 40. That's not how it's ever worked for me. I, I've had money come in when I've given, and there have been huge checks come into our family when we were like, good, because we needed groceries. I've had people walk up and hand, I can tell you God giving miracle stories for another hour and not repeat myself from 30 years of practice so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. Now, you ready to sing? You ready to sing about his goodness? You ready to play? <laughs> Come on, let's sing.